this past uh, Monday and Tuesday, I had the opportunity to go to Blue Ridge and speak at a, a youth retreat for a Cherokee County uh, uh, church that was having fall break. And I went and I spoke on just this idea of hearing God's voice, being a people who communicate and relate to Jesus. And the principle was simple, that you can't have a relationship apart from communication. All right? If you're going to be in relationship with someone, I see hus- wives giving husbands looks, I'm just saying, as I said that, that there has to be communication, right, for there to be a relationship. And, and in that, you know, in the context of that relationship, I said, but, you know, but that, that as we relate to Jesus, that he will always speak in ways that are true to his character, right? That, that God will always speak in ways that are true to himself. And so, and in that, which, which meant this, that if we're going to be in relationship with Jesus, if we're going to communicate with him, then we need to know him. Now, I mean know him like know his character, know who he is, the very core root of who he is, because he will always speak in ways that are truthful to that character. So this morning, I'm going to be speaking just about the character trait of God's love. And that's what we're looking at for the next seven weeks in, in, our, uh, in our small group initiative. But I want to, as we kind of end this time where we've been worshiping and focusing on Jesus and seeing him, I want to end our worship by... by looking at this, the scripture of 1 Corinthians 13, be our primary scripture for the next seven, several weeks. But in it, what we find is Paul describing the character of Jesus. And so I'm going to read this. I'm going to ask you just to listen. You can sit down if you want, you're more comfortable. You can stand. I don't really care what you do. But whatever you can do that you can listen and engage. Because here's my, and here's my question. Here's, and I want you to close your eyes if you're sitting. Seating. You're sitting down. I want you to ask yourself as we launch into 1 Corinthians 13, is this the way that I know Jesus? Is this how I recognize how he communicates with me? Is this the expression that I sense, that I describe Jesus in? When people say, tell me about your Jesus, is this the relationship characteristic that you define in the nature of relationship with Jesus. So 1 Corinthians, you just read this, just listen along, okay? It says this, Love is patient, or it's long-suffering. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. Love never fails. Father, as we enter in this morning... God, I really intuitive to set about, it's about six or seven weeks, God, of just, just describing and talking about true biblical love. I pray, Father, that 1 Corinthians 13, as it relates to understanding your character, would come alive to us. God, all of these words in 1 Corinthians, will they describe you and your relationship to humanity? Father, you keep no record of wrongs. You never come back and remind us again and again of everything we've done wrong. Father, we praise you for your long suffering, that God, you see us in our broken places and you are patient. You suffer long to get us from point A to point B. We thank you, Jesus. God, we praise that you are quick to listen. You are slow to speak and slow to anger. Description, God, again, of your love for us. Father, this morning, I'm asking, because I know only you can give it, I'm asking for this awakening, an awakening in our hearts to the true nature and understanding, heart knowledge, mind knowledge of your authentic devotion and commitment and love for us. Father, we just declare we need your help. We praise you that whenever we cry out and ask for help, that you are faithful to meet us. So thank you in advance, Lord, for the things you're about to do and will do over the next several weeks. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.
Hey, before we uh, launch, we've got the Smiths here. They just led worship for us this morning, uh, Kim and Brandon. Uh, we're going to ask them to go ahead and just stand right here uh, at the front right here with your family. Okay, everyone who's go. Nope, those are both the Smiths. Get them out of here. No. Um, actually, I think you're still connected to something, bro. That would have been bad. I would have charged you for that. Just kidding. All right. They're about to leave for Nairobi, Kenya on Thursday. And uh, as a family, uh, if you've been reading the State Department, it's not the safest of times because everything going on across the world uh, to travel. And uh, But they feel uh, led by the Lord to go. And they're taking their family. So I'd like to get a few of uh, you as vintage, our elders, our people who love missions, people who love the Smiths, people who just love people, uh, to come forward to this together around them. Uh, we're going to pray uh, for them. Is this kind of that kind of as a commissioning? This is a we've got their backs. We're praying for them uh, while they're gone and just uh, loving on them. Yes, we got the. All right. Did Piper mind closing us out? I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> All right. Y'all go ahead and just start to pray. Y'all just so I encourage you as you're sitting in your chairs, just put your hands forward, just uh, begin to pray for them. I will close us in a minute and uh, just commission them out. So just begin to praise the Lord leads you. Lord. So, Father, we just speak blessing over them, God, that one, Jesus, we recognize these types of trips, Lord, are always for the purpose of our change, God, of our heart change, of our own personal awakenings. And we say yes and amen, God, to that work that you want to do in them individually and as a family. God, I pray that you would do something supernatural in them, God, while they're gone. There'd be a testimony simply to the sovereignty and the work of the living Jesus in their lives, Father. So we say, we just commit, we hand them over to you saying, God, your will be done in them. God, I pray also that you would do the work through them that you want to do while they're in Nairobi. Lord, I pray that, God, you would use them in power. I pray, Father, that you would do this to pour out the gifts of the Holy Spirit into them as they go, Jesus. God, they would confess that they are inadequate apart from your Spirit moving in them. And so we say, Holy Spirit, have your way in each of them. Lord, I pray, God, for the kids as they minister to the other kids, that you'd give them just words of knowledge, Jesus, just to speak and to express the fullness of your love to them, God. I pray, Jesus, just for gifts of discernment, Lord, just to understand what's going on in the Spirit, God, so they can have wisdom of how to pray and how to move. God, I pray, Jesus, this in this feeding program that, the, that they're a part of, Lord, we pray just blessing upon it, Jesus, uh, for no hungry children, God, that you would use this time, God, just as a, as a shaping, God, as a, as, a, as a challenge, Lord, and that you would use it for your purposes there in Nairobi, Father. Lord, we love you. We do ask, God, that you would guard them and protect them as they go, but, God, not to the point, God, would hinder your work. We simply say, Jesus, your will be done in their family while they're gone, that you would bring them home safely, and that, Father, but you would use them in whatever dangerous place it may be for your kingdom purposes. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. If you, uh, if you know, um, if, you've, <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't know the Smiths, uh, several years ago, Brandon went to Nairobi, Kenya to do a pastor's conference. And while he was there, God just really gave him a heart uh, for the children there specifically who literally don't have food to eat every day. And so God just moved it upon his and Kim's heart to start a ministry called, uh, called No Hungry Children specifically. It's kind of a branch off a ministry called Reform Life Ministries. But No Hungry Children is this ministry that they're doing. Uh, I actually sit on the board along with Jimmy. Where's Jimmy? I just saw you up here, Jimmy. Uh, and where are you, buddy? I'm sorry. I'm totally missing you. Yes, I do like this, dude. Again. So anyway, Jimmy. Um, but anyway, so I would say this is kind of an unsolicited thing for you. If uh, we 
we've, we're even in the, in, the, in the process of talking about just raising funds for the feeding program, and there are all these schools that are out there. And so basically, long story short, it's an extra $5,000 setting apart that God's just kind of said, hey, I want you to use it for my purposes. You can take an entire school and feed them for a year. All right? We're talking, is it, how many, it's one meal a a dollar a week per child, right? Feed this entire school, feed, feed all these kids, right? And, and it's, there's definitely need. They're going to go and just kind of see what's going on with the feeding program. But anyway, if you, or if anything that you want to give towards that, even if it's $5, that's fine too. Anything that you like to give, you just, I don't know how to tell you to give it, but just, um, no, yeah, nohungrychildren.org. There's ways that you can donate there. Or if you want to bring it to Vintage, you can stick it in one of those envelopes. Just put no hungry children. Put it in the, on the memo. Or excuse me. Put it in the two line, and you can give to that. Okay. So anyway, just want you to know that. All right. Let's jump in this morning. And uh, you know, we've been talking. Obviously, we just kind of talked about this context of First Corinthians 13. This this uh, this message on or this word from Paul uh, describing the love of Jesus ultimately. Uh, yes, describing God's love, God's love. Before we do that, Randall's reminding me. I always forget to do this. Hey, take your baskets and pass them down for our offering. If you fill out a Connect card, one of those cards that you said it to Connect at the top, just make sure you put that in the, in, in the uh, basket. I'll shoot you an email this week if you have an email address, and uh, that'd be good. All right. So yeah. So jumping in, we as of uh, this com- next Sunday will be launching into our actual small group study, okay? This week is your last week of doing fun things. So how many of you are enjoying your time in your small group, playing games? Raise your hands loud and proud. Yes, yes, very proudly. We've launched into these small groups. We've done this whole thing. We've called it an experiment. I ask you to embrace it. But for the first three weeks of small group, we're just hanging out, having a good time because of this reason. It's hard to dive in deep with people that you don't know. But if you spent some time hanging out with them, talking with them, so when you break into the study, you had those moments where you laughed at them for being really silly, and it just opens up the door for you to have a conversation with them, right? Because you've seen them act goofy and silly, right? And so the first three weeks hanging out, so hopefully you're embracing that. Thanks for in, in doing that for us. And uh, But this coming uh, next Sunday, we'll be launching into the study. So what I want to do this morning is I want to first... I want to just name, I just want to name for you the hesitation, honestly, the hesitation that I had in, in doing this study. It's a study on the, on, called it 40 Days of Love, right? Studying on God, on God's love. Now, the, the hesitation number one that I had was simply this. Everybody talks about and uses and understands the word love, right? I mean, it's like one of the most overused words at church. It's one of the most overused words in our culture. I mean, we all the songs that we sing anywhere on any radio station, they use the word love in there. So I've always thought that, fam- you always use, heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt, right? It's like, I sit there and say, we're doing a study on love, and you're like, Why? I mean, I get love. We've been talking about it since I was like wee little tyke, you know. It's like it's not new to me. We inherently understand it, right? So, like, why? And so I know you're sitting up there going, okay, I will do this because I know I'm supposed to, but why are we studying love? The second tension that I, uh, hesitation that I had was kind of going back to that definition part that, that we understand love, but I really don't think that we do. That we talk about love and we have this idea of what we mean, but do we truly have a biblical understanding? Do we, do we, when we use the word, are we coming at it from this biblical con- context, right? This biblical understanding of, of really what that word meant. Do we fully understand? Because in culture, in our lives, every day, I will say things like, I really love that hamburger, right? I really love my cat. I really love my spouse and kids, and I really love Jesus, right? And we may do that all in the context of one minute. And so when we say the word love, I mean, that's kind of odd. Going, like, what if you went, man, I just love that hot dog, Jesus, and I love you, and I love you, right? It's like, I, that's weird. It's like, what are we, like, what are you making Jesus like a hot dog? That's just strange to me, right? And so, so one of my hesitations was that this, that we would go through this entire study, never really actually engaging our mind and our heart in the true meaning of what Jesus means and what Paul means here by love. And we get through the whole study, get to the end of it, and have a complete misunderstanding still of what love is, 
what Jesus and Paul meant by that and what it means for us today. And so what I want to do, so, I, so the idea is, well, let's jump in then and let's really define it. So what I'm asking you to do this morning is to tune me in. Just for those of you who are old enough to remember, take the knob and just do a little bit like this and tweak it so you actually hear me this morning, okay? The, the, the kids are going, what's he talking about? What's this right here? That's a knob, right? You have to do it on old-timey radios, right? So anyway, so I've named the hesitation. So here's what I want to say. It's kind of laying the foundation for the next several weeks for us at Vintage. It's this, right? The first things, the first two things I want to say, laying the foundation. Biblically speaking, love is a priority for every follower of Jesus. Right? If you're taking notes, we don't want to write this down, right? Love is a priority for every follower of Jesus. And love is a commandment for every follower of Jesus. Okay? So love is a priority. Love is a commandment for every follower of Jesus. First John chapter four, verse eight, let the words land, right? I'm just sharing two verses. Let them land. Let them pierce you. Whoever does not love does not know God. Whoever does not love does not know God for God is love. So John's testimony here is that the defining character trait of God is love. So if you were to take God this morning and define his character, you've got to recognize everything about God falls under an umbrella. The umbrella is love. It's the character trait of God. It's the defining his his listen, his justice, his anger, his jealousy, his compassion, and his mercy, all of these fall under the defining character trait of his love. Right? And God is and John's saying, listen, and if God is a part of your life, then you need to be like him, and love then should define and be your defining character trait also. So you always have to press pause in moments like this. Pause. That's a button, not a knob. It's a button. Press pause. That's the tape player of old, right? At the end of your life, and your neighbors are writing your tombstone, would they use love as a defining characteristic trait of who you are? Not your family. It's easy to love your family. What would your neighbors say? What would they write down? Would they say, yeah, man, yeah, Steve, man, Steve, the love of, he loved people, right? Whoever lo- so the priority is love, because whoever does not love does not know God. Second, second come the commandment then, love is a commandment, is Matthew 22, 38 through 30, 37 through 38. We all know this verse, 22, 37, 38. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Take, if, you, if you held up your Bible right now, say, do you say everything in the book you're holding up this morning is defined by these two verses, right? If you stand before God, you don't know how to read, you don't have ears to hear, right? And you cannot comprehend the Bible. All you have to know is, well, if you just love the Lord your God, heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, that's what the entire book is about. If you do those things, you will fulfill everything written in it. Good job. Right. So it's a priority because God is love and those who know God love. And it's a commandment. Right. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in all the scripture is defined by those two verses. So if we claim this morning, if you claim this morning to know God. If we slash you claim to be a follower of his, if you claim to be in relationship with the living God, and if you happen to believe that you will spend eternity with him in heaven, then we slash you must love well. It must be the primary defining characteristic of your life so that when you kick the bucket and, and your wife is sitting there freaking out about what to put on the tombstone because no one likes that to make, make that decision. Some of you have. You're like, oh, my gosh, I hate this decision. Your neighbors come and tell you very clearly, oh, it's real easy. It's real easy. He, she loved 
well. Oh, thank you. Is that the, that's the defining characteristic trait of Jesus. It's to also be our primary character trait. And to recognize then what I mean to love well as a priority and a command, we need to then define what love is. We need to see love defined. So go ahead and put the, go ahead and put the definition up here, Maddie. For me, please. Thank you, ma'am. I'm gonna, we're gonna read it. I want you to, I want, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read it slowly. I want you to, again, allow the words to, to, to soak in. Let me say this real quick. I took this, this definition from a Bible dictionary that could squish my car. Right? It's a massive Bible dictionary that, I, and of course you can think about it. I mean, you're defining the word love. Think about how many pages I have. I'm asking a lot of time reading that for y'all this week, right? A lot of time just for you to reading that, okay? And this is the one sentence I came away with for defining love. It will def- be the definition that we use for the next several weeks. You've already read it. I'm going to read it to you now. Read along with, don't read it. Just listen along and look along with as I read. Love, love defined. An inner devotion. So I mean inner, inside of you, right? The inside part of you. An inner devotion that is expressed outwardly as I commit to seek the well-being of another person or another thing or another through concrete expressions of service. All right, read that again. An inner devotion that I expressed outwardly because I am committed To seek the well-being of another through concrete outward expressions of serving them. Do you see that? What I've just defined for you is what's what's called agape love in the New Testament. It's the first Corinthians word that Paul uses to describe that love is patient Love is kind, right? Does not envy it, does not boast, and it keeps no record of wrongs. It's the defining character trait of Jesus. It is to become the defining character trait of all of our lives and our life as a church, as the body of Christ. We are to have an inner devotion that is expressed outwardly as we are committed to seek the well-being of another in our community, another in our life, another in my neighborhood, as I concretely express it through acts of service through service. All right. This, my friends, is love defined. So what I want to do now is give... Five principles of this love defined that we need to embrace in our lives, okay? I encourage you again to write these things down. Five principles of love defined. Number one is this. We can't love. That's the greatest place to begin. I'm calling you to love, but good news, you can't love. Right? What? Right? In our own strength. In your own strength, we, you, do not have the capacity to be fully devoted and fully love well in your own strength. You have to remember, God is love. God is the source of love. He is the source. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because God first loved. We can never love first. We can only love as, an, as a response, as an act of response to love that's been given. So, so biblically speaking, we can't love. We can't be fully devoted unless we connect with the source. We need Jesus. We need his help, right? We have the capacity to be devoted. We have the capacity to love well because the love of God has been poured out into our lives and a awakened love inside of us, right? Because love has been expressed through relationship with Jesus, we now have the capacity to love. Why? Because the love of God is present. How many of you either growing up or still loved or loved swimming pools? Somebody raise your hand. Just put them up high, right? You love swimming pools. You know what you call a swimming pool that's empty? A hole. 
There's nothing fun or enjoyable about walking up to a pool unless Chase comes and he brings his skateboard, right? Because skateboards for, you know, empty pools for skateboards are fun, but for the rest of us, they are dangerous and they are not fun and usually got nasty stale water in the bottom of them and they're gross, right? So what we get at is this. For a swimming pool to be made fun, to be made enjoyable, to express who it fully is, it needs a water source. It needs a big old fat hose pouring water into it. So what we're getting at is this. Apart from Jesus, we're just a big, fat, empty hole that is empty. It's not expressing joy. People get near us and say, oh, they're dangerous because they're mean. Right? And they run away from it slash us. Why? Because it's an empty hole. But the idea is when you give your life to Christ, when you give your life to Jesus, who God is love, then all of a sudden the water source, the, the living water, as Jesus said, who would now be in our lives forever, the, 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 the river of life, according to Ezekiel 47, God flowing into us, all of a sudden is our water source, and we all of a sudden become this person that love is just flowing into, and the water source keeps on going. So the great thing about our pool, man, it's like it just pours out to everyone, right? This supposes to just keep on going. The water source never ends to be spilling out and spilling out and spilling out, right? So the question to ask ourselves is this, is that defining my life? Does that type of devotion and that love that people are drawn to, is it happening in my life? Do people love being around me? Do they, well, they define me as one who loves well. And I would say that we can't love because you're an empty hole. You need a living water to come at your source and fill you. And all of a sudden, now the love of Jesus in you. Now you have the ability to love because of the work of Jesus in you. So, which means, so here's the deal. We in our lives, we only struggle loving well when we have not fully embraced the love of Jesus expressed to us in our lives. That if we are an empty hole and we have, we have stuff in our lives, right, it literally becomes a barrier, like a, almost like a dam that's put up in our lives, right? So this morning, if we are not expressing love well, right, if we are naturally judgmental, we're naturally sarcastic in a, in a biting way, if we are mean-spirited, right, if we're, if we're quick to put others down, if we're quick to anger, if we're uh, quick to self-righteousness, basically being better than other people, and if you just don't like people and don't, be, don't love being around them, and I would say this morning that you are in need of God's love truly being awakened in your life. You're in need of healing, right? You've been hurt by your parents. You've been hurt by peers in school. You've been hurt by professionals. You've been hurt by your spouse. Maybe some of you have, have been abused in your life. You've been misused. You've been, misre- you've been rejected. Maybe someone's abandoned you or even betrayed you. All of these things. They put up barriers in your life for the love of God being released, right? It's literally a barrier, the water source is there, you're putting your hand up and the water's hitting it and you're just going, it's going from side to side, a little bit trickling in maybe, right? But you have all this stuff. What I would say is this, this reality for us is that in vintage, we're studying this, doing an initiative on this. Why? Because I believe that we can't love apart from the love of God being expressed in our lives. You can't know that unless you know God because his character, his character is to love. And if we cannot receive that well, then you're not going to be filling your swimming pool up and you're not going to be expressing love. And you are commanded to and it's a priority. Okay? So we want to do, go to the study. Why? So God can bring healing. God can bring restoration. And so God, so you can be a swimming pool that everyone can dive into. Because the beautiful piece is this. If you take your individual swimming pools and put them all together, you have a swimming pool the community can fit in. It's called the community pool. And everybody loves going to the community pool. We want to be a place where the community just loves to dive into the community pool. Because the love of God is being so expressed through us. And in us. Second thing we see, a, a, a principle is this. Love is a choice and love is a commitment. Love is a choice 
And love is, an, is a commitment, right? In our culture, we say that we love, right? But what we usually mean by that is this. I have an uncontrollable attraction, an uncontrollable arousal, and an uncontrollable desire, right? So rental tolerance is sexist, so I'll add men and women, right? A lot of women and some men walk into a shoe store, right? And they see the perfect pair of shoes in there, right? See the perfect pair of shoes in there. And they go, oh my gosh, I love these shoes, Right? I did that yesterday. I'm just kidding, right? No, I love these shoes. And you think about it, right? And you think about calling your spouse, right? If that's you, you're like, I'm going to call my husband. I'm going to say, I want to tell me his shoes, but he won't really care. So I'm going to call my best friend and let her talk me into them, right? Because I love these shoes, right? I've had, a, I've had an uncontrollable attraction, an uncontrollable arousal, and an uncontrollable desire. I want them. So finally, you think about it for a while and you text your husband, I need these shoes. And you give him some reason that appeals to his masculinity, right? And he says, sure, honey, go ahead and buy them, right? Or men, right? We walk into a, we walk into a, um, a, a car dealership. We're on the, you know, on the, on the, on the floor here, right? Looking at the cars. We walk up to the sports car and there's some sort of desire aroused. Or maybe it's a big fat dually truck, right? You're like, Oh, I feel like a man. And your wife goes, what do you think about this one? And inside you're like, yeah. You're like, that's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Right? But inside women, what that means is, that's awesome. I have an uncontrollable desire, an uncontrollable arousal for this truck, this sports car. Right? I want it. We all understand this, right? We had this, So when we say this word love, we have this misunderstanding of what it means. That's why in today's world, it is easy to Fall into love, and it's easy to fall out of love. It's as if like we're it's like we're falling into a hole by accident and accidentally falling out of it. How does that happen? Love, right? We see the deal is this this morning. Scripture teaches us clearly in the definition of love that it is primarily a choice and a commitment. That yes, emotion may be there and it may be present, but primarily it is a choice and it's a commitment. And the arousal and the attraction and the desire in themselves, they are not love. You don't fall in in love and you don't fall out of love. Love is a choice and love is a commitment. The primary way that we, we see this is in the context of, of marriage when and a husband and wife, they take their vows. So I'm going to read some vows that I've used in a lot of weddings, okay? I'm going to put Randall's name in to make it personal for myself, okay? But I want you to do a test, okay? You've got to listen clearly on this one, okay? I want you to take a test here with me, okay? I want you to just think it down. You can take it in your mind. I want you to chalk up how many times I use a phrase or a word that is defined by choice and commitment to express love. And how many times I use a word that defines love in a sense as an emotion or a feeling. Okay, so you're judging the words and phrases. Are they commitment? Love is commitment or love is emotion. Are you ready for the test? Here we go. I'm going to read this. Just kind of just keep it in your mind and you just make the make take the test with me. Okay, here are the vows. Do you, Steve, do you take Randall to be your best friend, your lover, the mother of your children and your wife? Do you promise, commit, right, to love, as in, as in this commitment, devotion, not the feeling? Do you promise to love, comfort, honor, and keep her? Will you be hers in times of plenty and in times of poverty or in want, in times of sickness and in times of health, in times of joy and in times of sorrow, in, in times of failure and in times of triumph. Do you promise to forsake, turn away from all others, and be faithful only to Randall, to cherish and respect her, care for and protect her, to be hers as long as you both shall live? And I said, with God's conviction, I do. Did you see how many words were based on emotion and how many words were based on choice and commitment? If you didn't hear it, 100% over here on choice and commitment. That when I got married, I made a commitment and a choice to love, to be committed, to be devoted. So what we can say this morning very clearly as it relates to an understanding of God's, of godly love and true love, you can never say, 
I fell into love or I fell out of love. All that I would be able to say in the context of Randall as it relates to this understanding of love is this. I am choosing not to love Randall anymore because I could never fall out of love because love was never an emotion in the first place. It was never an arousal. It was never a desire, although those parts of it were there for me. Thank God. Right. But as it relates to my life and my expression, it's about I didn't I didn't express to to love her as long as I was aroused by her, desired her and had an uncontrollable desire for her. No, I committed and made a choice in all of this through thick and through thin that I would be hers forever. So I can never say I fell out of love. All I can say is I'm choosing not to love anymore. Number three, love is an action. It's not an emotion, right? So love is a choice and a commitment, and then love is an action. So scripture again and again commands us to love. I just read the great commandment. Love God with heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, and hear this, love can't be an emotion because love can't be commanded. So if I look at Todd right here and said, Todd, be sad and cry. Do it. Be sad and cry. Right? He's sitting there laughing at me right now. Don't be sad and cry, dude. Right? Georgia really lost last night. They did not win. Right? It's, just, it's a big farce on tell. No, no, no. You could not be sad and cry. Now, you could fake it. You know, you could fake it. You could probably give me some, right? Do it. I'm just kidding. No, you could probably do it, right? You could probably make some big thing. And the whole time you're sitting there thinking that, this is so cheesy, right? I, I can't force myself. I can't force myself to be sad and force myself to cry. The best I could do is fake it. Therefore, love can't be an, a, a, an emotion. It has to, it's a, it's a, it's a choice. I am choosing I would choose, I would choose, it's a command, right? I'm, it's been a command to love, it's not an emotion to love. I am commanded to love. It's, not, it's, a, it's a choice, not an emotion that just wells up inside of me, right? 1 John 3.18, love, excuse me, let us not, let us love not with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. The, the, the word from John here, right? Just the scripture. It doesn't work. Love is not something we just speak. It's not just something like, oh my gosh, I love you. It's not just this passive thing. It's not just an emotion. That's not words I speak from an emotion, but it's an action. It's an action that I do, right? So let me say a couple of things about love and actually. Acting in love or expressing love, acting in love or expressing love when you don't feel it, that is the highest form of love. It is, it, is, it is actually a more mature love when you're acting loving toward a person, when they're not responding to you or when you don't feel it. Listen, it's really easy to express love to someone who's loving you, who's expressing love, who is being expressive to you, right? It takes nothing at all, but real love acts and does the loving thing when they don't deserve it, when they don't respond, or when you don't feel like it. Anybody who's ever had children understands this, especially when they're babies, right? When they're little. You've already woken up with them five times at night, right, Michelle? We've already woken up five times at night. She's holding baby back there, right? Woke up, like, you woke up at 11, you woke up at 12, you woke up at 2. And at 3 o'clock, baby starts making noise, right? Right, Jeff? Right? And you're sitting there, right? And the idea, you're not sitting, you're not going, oh, I just have such a desire to get up. I have such a longing, an emotion of love in my heart. I'm aroused by the crying at bloody murder, right? I'm aroused by this. It's creating desire inside of me. No, you're going, oh, Jesus, help me. And you get up as an expression and an act of love. But why? Because you're committed and devoted to this child and you express it with your action. A little bit more of a grosser picture is this. How many of you, you've had a moment probably in your life with your kids or your best friend, whoever it may be, and they were sick to their stomach for whatever reason, right? And, and they were, they were hugging the toilet, 
All right. Hugging the toilet. Right. And, and so the men say, you know, I, I think about Randall, the first, one of our very first, the first one of the first dates we ever went on. She just got violently ill, sick to her stomach from this Thai food that she'd eaten. Right. And never forget, I'm sitting there in the moment and I'm watching her hovering over the toilet with her hair. And, and I went over and grabbed her hair and I put it in my hand, put it in a ponytail and held it back because everyone knows it's gross to have chunks in your hair. Let me tell you something, right? I was not aroused or desiring to want to be in there. She's blowing chunks. I'm, I'm like dry hitting, right? Like, mm, Jesus, Jesus. I'm speaking in tongues. Oh, let me write this. Help me, Jesus, right? Like, this is gross, right? Or men, like, you know, women, you got these men. You know men when they get started sick, they're something like, oh, my gosh, the world's coming. To, just kill me, honey, right? I mean, you're sitting there, right, watching them with your, with your husband's over the toilet. And, if they, and they're like, you're just putting their hand, your hand on their back, right, putting the cold washcloth around their neck, right? And you're just going, I don't want to be here, but I will be because I'm devoted to you and committed in love to you. If you ever said, I loved you, that's why I went to be in there, and you had desirous, longing emotion to be in there, I would call you crazy. Because in this, this picture, love is an action. It's not an emotion. Love is, love is not an emotion. Which leads us to this next part. Action can lead to emotion. Action will lead us to emotion. So I would say this, just kind of hear this. It's always easier to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. Right? It's always easier to act your way into a loving feeling instead of waiting for the feeling to come and then act loving. So you've seen people, right, in, in marriages, maybe you've been there yourself, right? They've, they've been in this long-time relationship, relationship and, and maybe the flame has gone out, right? The, the thrill, the emotion, the desire, and the, all this kind of stuff is gone, right? And they're living their life in their house like separate people, right? Just kind of living separate from one another. Do you know how you rekindle the romance? You act your way into a feeling. You act your way. You begin to express in action love without feeling. Because here's the deal. Let me say this to you. If you go long enough in your marriage, you will grow so numb that all of a sudden one day you're just kind of like ships that are passing. You're completely separate in your marriage and in your life, right? And you keep on waiting for the feeling to come before you express something because you, when you first started, your arousal and your desire and your emotion, it caused you to act, right? I mean, when, let's be honest, right? Your men, your men were probably great. Like the first, like before you got married, they were probably great. You know why? Because they were still trying to conquer you. Right. They were still trying to conquer you. So when they said something mean and you teared up, they go, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, honey. Right. What do they do now? They go, oh, there you go again. They walk out of the room. Right. Or or it's like, you know, when they when it first started, I mean, they were they were probably like buying you gifts and taking you out to dinner and just open the door for you. Right. They were they were in this place. Right. But but now what do they do? Don't say it out loud, right? Because they don't do a lot of those things anymore. The only thing they do now is that they want something, right? Let's be honest. And so, yeah, this whole nature, this whole nature, right, of this, this relationship. But what you would say is that you don't wait for the emotion. You act first, and then the emotion follows. I see that in, in, in Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, this is a, 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 a kind of a, it's a great picture because you see the church at Ephesus. Church at, church at Ephesus in Acts, I mean, I think it's Acts chapter 19, I think. I can't remember exactly. Actually, Ephesus has this great revival, this great move of God's Spirit. The revival breaks out in the whole province of Asia. Here's the name and the person, the name of Jesus, and it has the, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus preached to them, right? And so they had this great thing in revival. You can read it in the book of Acts. It's an incredible moment. Is it Acts 19 or Acts 9? Somebody looked it up, didn't you? Where is it, AK? Somebody look it up. Okay, never mind. Somewhere in your Bible, just press pause, don't go there, okay? Somewhere in Acts. So you read it. Now, 
So that's had great, there's been great arousal, great desire, and great emotion for Jesus. You can see it in the things that they're doing, right? And then we skip all the way to Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, you have forsaken your first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. You had great, you had great arousal, great desire, great emotion. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot, it was great. You were expressing it. You were expressing it. But now later on, you're forsaken. You've chosen to turn away by your actions and your deeds from your first love. Repent. You make a conscious effort and decision to turn from the direction that you're going, turn back towards me and start walking back towards me and express in action the love Express in action the things you did before. Basically what Jesus is saying, listen, you fall out of love with me. You fall out of love with your first love. You stop doing things that you did, right? You don't have emotions, so you're not doing these things. I'm telling you, start doing the things you expressed in the beginning, and emotion and desire will follow. We wait for emotion, don't we? We wait for emotion. We must let action lead. And it can lead us to lots of places, one of those being emotion. The fifth thing, the last thing, this principle is that love is a habit. Love is a habit. Habits are something you all understand that we instinctually do as second nature, right? I don't think about it. I don't have to plan for it. It just naturally flows out from me, right? So for us, true love, this, this devotion leading to action, it can become a habit. It can, it, can, it can become a natural part of us, right? It can grow in us. It can grow in us and then naturally flow from us. But it begins, right? It begins by that first place right here of simply receiving, receiving God's love, right? Allowing him to, to fill us first, right? And then it becomes a natural outflow of our hearts. And we know that love has truly taken root in us. It is, has truly taken root and become a habit of sorts once uh, when we are commanded, when we are commanded to, to, to love someone or something that is difficult to love and that it naturally flows from us. We know it's become a habit, a natural part of us, when God specifically commands us to love someone or something that is difficult to love. And even though it may be an initial like, oh, like we get up with our kid, right? That, oh, Jesus, we get up and we respond in obedience. Luke chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus says this. If you love those who, who love you, what credit is that to you? Does that really matter? Does that really count? Even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be sons and daughters of the Most High. Listen, Luke chapter 6 was not some sort of hypothetical spiritual teaching. Jesus had specific people in mind as recipients who were thinking of specific people who were their enemy. Real life enemies. People who were opposed to them, who were being mean to them, who were speaking negative things, but who are, who are oppressing them into the moment. And, and what Jesus is saying is saying, listen, love has to become a habit because when, the, when difficult people come, when your enemy come who are mean to you and they tell you to do something, your natural response is going to be, I don't feel like it. But your natural response has to be, here, have this and my other coat. Yes, here you slap this one cheek, take the other as a natural response of your life. Love is a priority for every follower of Jesus. Love is the commandment for every follower of Jesus. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love your enemy who is your neighbor as you love yourself. God's desire in this season for us is that love would begin to define 
our expression of life. They would begin to, to be the defining character trait of each of our lives. As we become those who express in action our love for people in this outward expression because of an inner commitment and devotion I have to Jesus and to my neighbor, then it will lead me to this true expression of love. And when that happens, when the love of God overwhelms you and you begin to pour that out, all of a sudden people are drawn. People come and dive in and they want what we have. Why are we doing this initiative? Yes, it's for us to a degree, but Scott and I believe with everything inside of us that if we really want to fulfill our vision of community transformation, it will never happen if they think that we're the snobby church that doesn't love people. And if we're not able to express in action our love every day of our life, as a representative of vintage and of Jesus, then people will never dive in. They will be hindered from the gospel and they will use more words like those Christians are just hypocrites. May it never be said about vintage that we are hypocrites. There's lots of things they can say about us that they want, but may it never be that we're hypocrites. They may think we're crazy. They may think we're weird. May, they may think that we sing too loud or do weird things. Let a worship leader wear a hat on stage, right? And that's weird, right? I mean, let all those things happen. I don't care if they say those things, but may it never be said about us. And nobody said that. I was just saying that. Nobody said that. But may it never be said that they don't love well and that they're hypocrites. That's why we're doing this study. That's why we're doing the initiative, because... We, I've given my life. Scott came here from Jacksonville with his family because we believe that God wants to transform the community as we create these swimming holes that just pour out to people every day of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning sober. Sober because we know that we can't love well, and Jesus, let's be honest, you know it. You know we don't know how to love. You know that you are the source. And so, Father, this morning, this afternoon, we come and say, Jesus, help us. Help us. Holy Spirit, we're asking grace for grace that today we may be able to love Jesus as the Father loves him. Holy Spirit, we're asking for grace today to be able to love our neighbor the way that you love them, Jesus, as you gave your life for them. Jesus, come. Well, this morning I'm asking for an awakening in our hearts. God, those who have created raised up dams in their life that are literally hindering them from embracing and knowing the full love of Jesus, we ask for healing this morning. We ask for restoration. We ask for breakthrough. Lord, we want to see that. We want to see that happen, Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit, and do this work. We give ourselves to you this morning, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.